0: I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to uh, Samuel chapter one. As we continue in a sermon series called "Known in the Unknown," we're really seeing that there is so much in our world right now that is that is unknown. Uh, we, uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we, we sent the kids. We got ready to send the kids to distance learning school. Who who really knows how to do that? Yeah, we're we're learning, but it was unknown. We um, even even uh, six or eight or ten weeks ago, when when church went distance learning, we really didn't know what was what was going on. And and honestly, we don't know what the next ten weeks look like. We don't know what December looks like. We live in a world of unknown. So it is really important for us to really focus on what we do know and look at the known in the unknown. I'll tell you, when I was a kid in high school, I didn't play many sports. I was kind of a, kind of a scrawny kid. I played golf my freshman year and I played football my sophomore year. And when I was in playing football, I was way out of my league. There was, I wasn't one of the kids that knew a whole lot. I'd never played before. And so I show up and, and I'm amongst many other sophomores who have been playing in, maybe they played in freshmen. they, they played in, uh, our, our team then was the, the, the Tomahawks, was the, was the kids' team, but maybe they had played then, I had no experience. I thought it would be cool to be a receiver. I'd seen those guys on TV, it looked like a cool position, so I thought I'd be a receiver. But there was a coach that thought, you know what, you're not a receiver, you're a lineman. And I I really didn't understand what I was about to do, but so I became a lineman. Now, let me tell you something. I was not a lineman. I was a, a, a skinny little kid. I wasn't going to push anyone over on the line. So every day in practice, I would go and I'd line up against other kids who were 50 pounds heavier than I was, who could bench press 50 pounds more than I could, and, and who could tackle 50 more guys than I could. And, and I, was, I was just put on the ground, practice after practice after practice. Every day after school, I'd put on the pads, and I'd go out there and I'd just get run over. I was always, in the, in the, the scrimmages... You remember when kids picked teams? You got a captain here and a captain here, and you say, okay, you know, I, I, picked, I, I picked these people, right? I was always the second to the last kid picked in uh, on our football scrimmages, and that's really because the last kid was the only girl on our team. I w- football was just, it, it, it wasn't for me. So out of the 10 games that season, I was able to get into the action three times. And all three times it was either at the end of the game when we were way ahead or we were way behind. So me being in the game had absolutely nothing to do with the outcome of the game. But I knew that if the coach ever called my name, then I was going to go into the field and I was going to stare across the line at a kid from another school in another uniform who in just a few minutes, as soon as that ball is hiked, is just going to pummel me into the dirt every time. I looked at the kids on my team, who had been there for quite a while, who knew what they were doing. They would show up to practice, and they've got, they've got these amazing like $200 cleats, they've got these, these uh, these custom shin guards, I'm showing up the football practice in the same shoes that I wore to the golf team last year. That was me. I'll be honest with you, after that season, I lettered, I did get a letter, but I never played football again. I just, I didn't go, I didn't go back. It was, the competition was so intimidating for me that I gave up. So that's it. I'm done. I'm just going to watch guys play football now and it's interesting that when we look at our spiritual walk we are going to face some very very fierce opponents we're going to stand up and we're going to look at at Giants and we're going to wonder are we in the right place am I on the right team like, sh- should I just, should I keep going? Look, look at this. I'm going to get pummeled into the dirt. This morning, we're going to look at this story in 1 Samuel, this Old Testament story, and we're going to see a giant this morning, and we're going to look at the giants in your spiritual walk. I know when we started the sermon series about three weeks ago, Things were a lot different than they are right now. In three weeks from now, there's things that are still going to be different. Our lives are going to be different. But let me tell you something that is known. The spiritual battles are still going to be there. Your spiritual opponents are still going to be strong. That's not going away. There is at no time in the last six months that that we went into quarantine and no time in the next six months or the next six years that your spiritual opponents are ever going to quarantine. They're never going to go away. That doesn't happen. We have to move forward. So I want you to, to open with me. We are in 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 17. And... We're going to be, we're going to start right here in verses 4. We're going to read through uh, 4 through 7. Verse 4 reads like this. Then Goliath, a Palestine champion from Gath, came out of the Palestinian ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. A shaft of his, the shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. We're going to stop right there for a second. So we have this battle going on between the Philistines and the Israelites. These groups are lined up on either side of what we would refer to as maybe a dry riverbed and you've got the Philistines who are over here and their base camp is off a little bit and what happens is they will come to their edge of the dry riverbed in the morning and the evening and the Israelites are going to do the same thing. Their base camp is off a little bit and their warriors are going to come. So they're coming to face each other at this, kind of this ravine every day. Before we can really grasp the details of this battle, we need to go back. We need to go back and we need to look at the reason that we're actually here in this moment. The reason that this story is actually happening. We're going to go back to when Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. God had told the Israelites, you're going to come into this land, the land of Canaan, and I want you to wipe out all the inhabitants of this land. This is your land. I want you here only, and you're going to go in and you're going to clean the entire land out because I don't want you to... I don't want you to worship other people's gods. I don't want you to assimilate into other people's cultures. You are my people, so go in and clean the land, and this is your land. Now, the Israelites didn't do that. They didn't follow God's command. So we see numerous times, battle after battle, and we see different things that that happen in the lives of the Israelites that, that are stumbling blocks to their walk with God because they didn't follow God's commands. That's one of the reasons why we're here at this moment. The entire time that God focused on these people, on the Israelites as his chosen people, he had a desire and an intent to be their leader. Who's the leader of the Israelites? God. Who's the leader of these other nations? Eh, You know what? They've got... They've got kings, and they've got princes, and they've got emperors, and they've got pharaohs. There was a pharaoh in Egypt that the the Israelites came out of, but God is to be the leader of his people. But that didn't settle well with the Israelites after a while. All these other nations around them had a king. They said, hey, we want a king. And, 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 and they talked to the prophet Samuel, and they said, hey, we want a king. And he, he says, you know, if you get a king, the king's going to take, he's going to take your land, he's going to take some of your land, he's going to take some of your money, he's going to take your kids to form an army. He's going to do what a king does. And they still said, yeah, you know what? We, we, want, a, we want a king. God had sent judges to help govern the people, and they said, no, we want a king. The first king who was appointed over Israel was a man by the name of Saul, King Saul. And as we approach this battle, you say, well, where's where's the king? Oh, he's here. He He is on the battlefield, but he's at the camp with the soldiers. That's where he's at. He's not at the front lines. But he is here in this situation, in this moment. Across this riverbed, the Philistines bring out this gigantic man. When the Bible says that Goliath was a champion, what it's telling us is that Goliath, in other battles with other nations and with other tribes in their area, Goliath had single-handedly taken out others that represented the other army. It was something called representative combat in this time where one side would, would call on a man from their army, somebody would call on a man from the other army and these two men would fight it out to the death, whoever wins, now that army, we're going to say it represents the the victory for that army and this man who died is going to represent a, a loss for this army. It it's little less bloodshed, and now this army who won has people who now follow them. That's what Goliath had had mentioned, and that's what he's going to mention. But that makes somebody a champion, that he had overtaken other nations in battle. Some of your Bible versions are going to say that Goliath was 9 feet tall. Some might say he's 11 feet tall. We know he was tall. This is a big guy. He's a train killing machine. He's like the Terminator on Palestinian steroids. This guy, is, it's, he's huge. He has this, this armor on that, you know, you couldn't have just gone to the shelf and just grabbed any helmet, not for Goliath. His head's too big. He needs a, a special made helmet. You can't just go and, and grab him any uh, javelin or any spear and look like he's playing with a, with a kid's toy, right? I mean, he has to have big armor to cover this big guy. And if you're going to go up and face him, you better be prepared. He's so big, he is literally scaring people just by standing there. He doesn't have to do anything. Maybe he yells taunts across this riverbed. But just his size is enough to intimidate his opponents. In the book of 1 Samuel, we see details about his helmet and his chainmail that he wore and, and his leg armor and his spear and, and this guy that walked in front of him. So, he has a shield bearer. He has a, a guy who walks in front of him and holds a shield, right? So, when arrows are coming over, he can kind of duck down and, and, and hold that shield up there to protect Goliath. That's, you know, when you've got your hands full of a javelin and a, and a big sword, you have to hire a guy to walk in front of you to, to protect you from arrows, to, to bear your shield. Chances are that guy holding the shield, how would you like to have that job? You know, you you get the short straw. Today, you have to carry the shield for Goliath. That's your job. Maybe it's okay. I mean, look, you got the biggest guy in the army right behind you. You might be okay. Might not be a bad job. But I want you to realize something. Goliath did not show up to battle without proper armor. I want you to know something about your spiritual enemy. In your walk, your spiritual enemy is not going to show up unprepared. That's not going to happen. I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes this morning, point number one in your notes is this. The armor that the world brings into your spiritual fight is always going to be gigantic always going to be well prepared well armed defense with with shields defense with with helmets defense with with uh, leg armor every day that you have breath christian you are stepping onto a battlefield And this is so important to know this morning that your spiritual opponent always comes prepared. Always. We talked about it last week. We talked about some of the armor that, that we bring, that Christians bring into our spiritual battlefield. We talked about, we saw it in, in Ephesians, the, the belt of, of truth, the body armor, or the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that we put on peace, on, on and, and we, we hold up this, this shield. We have armor. Your opponent is going to come every day, fully ready to defend a worldview that is contrary to God's worldview for his people. We're going to be ready every single time. Sometimes the armor that you and I might need to take into our day, it might be, it might be God's word in our heart. That might be what we're walking out into Our world and into our fight with it might be your willingness to pray with a stranger today it might be your willingness to pray with with maybe a family member today let's face it sometimes it's more difficult to pray with somebody who is that close to you a family member sometimes it's it's more difficult than it is praying with a total stranger your armor today might be your willingness to pray with somebody who you don't know or to pray with somebody who you do know. How prepared are we for the spiritual warfare that we are walking into every day? Well, let me ask. We know that the world is going to come fully prepared for anything that that you have to bring. When you want to tell somebody about Jesus, this world is going to come very prepared. How prepared are we? Let me ask you this. If our armor is walking out with the Word of God in our heart, how much of the Word of God do we have in our heart? How much do we know? How much time have we been spending in the Bible recently? I wonder if you've ever had a moment in your life where you've been talking with somebody, and the thought came to your mind, oh, I wish that I knew where that verse was. I know the Bible says something about that. I wish I knew where that verse was. And maybe you go home and that sits on your mind for a few days. You think, wow, if I would have known that, I could have, I could have talked to somebody and I could have explained to them that this is what the Bible says. Well, let me ask, how strong is our armor of taking the word of God out into our battlefield? we can continue to strengthen our armor. We can continue to strengthen our offense. We can continue to strengthen our defense when we have God's word in our heart. The more we have, the stronger that we are. But would it be fair to say that we are fooling ourselves if we tell ourselves that we are able to go out and, and fight this battle with the scripture that we know? With, You know, I got it. I'll have the, the right verse will come to my head at the right time, I just know that it will. I don't really have to put any work into this, I don't have to practice, you know what? The kids on my football team, you know how they got better? They practiced, every day. They'd done it for years. They'd shown up, practiced for years. There's moments that I wish, and I know that there's moments in your life that you wish that you knew that scripture. We can be ready for the battle, but we need to keep preparing for the fight. We have to be prepared for this spiritual battle at all times, at every moment. You want to see this, this uh, battle in the Bible take place? Come back with me. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be in verse number 8. It says Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm a Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you will be our slaves. I want you to see this, very important. Verse number 10, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Then Saul and the Israelites, or when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Some of your versions are going to say that they ran back to base camp. Verse number 13. Jesse's three oldest sons had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and then bring back a report on how they are doing. So every day, both of these armies, they put on their suits of armor, they get out of their, their tent, they get ready for their day And they go out to the battlefield. And for 40 days, Goliath stands up in front of his army. All of these guys, he's going to stand out front. And he's going to yell across this riverbed and taunt the Israelites. Every day this is happening. And he says, choose one warrior to come out here and fight me. And everyone runs And before he's finished his taunt and just kind of laughing at them, he says, why are you even coming out here to fight? Look at me. Look how tall I am. You guys can't even, you're not even sending one warrior out here. I've been doing that. A month and a half, I've been coming out here every single day. I keep coming out and you're not finding a single guy. Who are you? You're just servants of Saul. And he says, I defy the God of Israel. It's pretty clear that the Israelites didn't have very much respect for this insult. I want you to come back with me one more time. We're in Samuel chapter 17, we're in verse number 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and he set out early in the morning and he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the... battle. Out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, he came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Don't worry about this, Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win, you're only a boy. And he has been a man of war since his youth. in these scriptures that were first introduced to David in this story. David is about 15, 16 years old. He's come to deliver some food to his brothers. He gets there at about the time that all the soldiers are going out to the battlefield. If you're about 15 years old and you show up where all of your brothers are about to go out, what do you want to do? You don't want to stay back with the keeper of all the goods. You want to go, right? You want to see what's going on. He runs out there Here's Goliath. And probably is somewhat upset that his brothers included, with all of the Israelite soldiers, including their king, hears this taunt from the giant. They start shaking in their boots, and they run back to their tents. And here's this kid. Says, what? I'll take him on. I'll do it. And you see what? You see what the the king says? He's like, don't be ridiculous. So here he actually has a conversation with the king of the army. He says, you're just a boy. But Goliath has been a fighting man ever since his youth. This reward that Saul has put for whoever can defeat Goliath, this is a pretty big deal. And your family doesn't have to pay taxes anymore. Plus you get one of the daughters of the king. It's a pretty good reward. All of that and none of the other soldiers take him up on this. Saul certainly doesn't. He doesn't do this at all. David just showed up at the battlefield and he already recognized that there's something really important going on. He sees that Goliath this enemy of the one true God is yelling insults at God's people and insulting God himself, and that makes David very mad. I want you to write this down, too. This is point number, no, number two in your notes this morning. The enemies of the one true God were also the enemies of David. David stood up against a giant simply to defend God from one of God's enemies. Now, could God throw down lightning bolts and defend and and do away with Goliath himself? Sure. But here, a 15 or 16-year-old boy says, I'm not going to stand for somebody insulting God. Probably turns around and looks at all of these other Israelite soldiers and says, I can't believe that you would stand for this. None of you, none of you are, are going across that riverbed to defend God. You have some sort of armor on. You have no faith. Weak and you're running. Watch this. David is actually going to sell himself to the king to get into the fight. This is interesting. How many times have you known people that have sold, who have done what they could to get out of the fight, to withdraw from their spiritual battle? Watch this. David is going to say anything that he can to get himself into this fight. Samuel chapter 17, verse 34. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this with both lions and bears. And I'll do that again with this pagan Palestine, uh, uh, Philistine too. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. See, there's the insult that David couldn't stand. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue rescue me. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. One, Saul, this king, is actually willing in this case to listen to a 15-year-old who's interested in going to war, who wants to go into the battlefield, Saul gives him some armor. It's probably made for a full-grown man, not really something that's made for a 15-year-old boy. David says, no, I can't wear that. I want you to see the weapons that are about to go into battle here. Goliath, this nine-foot man on one side of the valley, he's got a massive spear, he's got a bronze helmet, He's got leg armor, he's got, he's got this breastplate, he's got just chainmail. they'll refer to it. So he's not going to get hit here, here in, the, in the chest with arrows, he's going to be protected. And he's got a shield bearer, a guy out in front of him. Look at what David has. He's got a stick and a bag full of rocks. That's what he's got, and he's ready to go. David's not a warrior. He's not a trained killing machine. He works with sheep. He fends off some animals, but he works with sheep. He's not somebody who knows tactics of hand-to-hand combat. But to be able to kill a bear and a lion is enough to convince the king, okay, you know what, you can go. It's all right, give it a shot. You know who was trained as a warrior though? You know who should have been ready to go to battle? The king. Where was the king? Where is King Saul? Well, this is a great example of a coward. He's back with the armor, putting, or he's back with the, with the soldiers, putting armor on a boy to go and fight his battle. Saul didn't try. Saul wasn't a great king. He wasn't even a good shepherd. I want you to see this. This is a moment that we meet Saul when he is younger. We're going to jump back to 1 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read you a few verses here. Saul, shepherd at all. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 1 says, There was a wealthy, influential man named named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. First, he's probably part of the problem of why we lost the donkeys, but he's not finding them. And then he is influenced by his servant saying, hey, you know what, let's go over here. Let's go find the man of God. Saul says, "Ah, eh, all right, let's try it. Let's try that. That's certainly not a leader working in full leadership capacity. That wasn't Saul. I want you to write this down. Point number three in your notes this morning is this. Weak leaders deliver. He just doesn't. And see, here's the interesting thing. If you were to look at the men in the Israelite army, we've got this this opponent, Goliath, who's nine feet tall. But we just read Saul is by far the most handsome and the tallest head and shoulders above anyone else. He is the right person to go to battle. He's the tallest person in the Israelite army to go to battle. But he lets a 15-year-old kid go to battle for him. He actually encourages anyone else, go to battle for me. Who's ready? Look what I'll give you. I'll give you all of this. If Somebody just comes and does the work for me. It's a leader who's not prepared. And that can happen in our Christian walk at times also. Weak Christians apply insufficient discernment. We have to be able to discern our situations. We have to be able to understand where we're at, where we're going, what's in front of us, what we need, what armor we need, and what level of defense that we are walking into the battle with. And what level of offense? Do we have what we need? We Christians will say, you know what? I'm good to go. I'm ready. But somebody who's mature in their faith and a very skilled and mature soldier knows that I could always take more with me, that I could always get more out of my armor, that I should go into this battle more prepared than I am we're going to continue in 1st Samuel chapter 17 we're in verse number 41 bag and taking out a stone he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead the stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground i want you to write this down this is the fourth and final point in your notes this morning even the smallest weapon of the one true God is overwhelming. Even the smallest weapon of the one true God is overwhelming. If you and I pick up our worldly armor and go out into battle, there's a chance we're not gonna make it. If we're trying to fight this on our own merit, This isn't our war, this isn't our battle, but we are soldiers. We go out with the armor that God has given us and he has given us weapons, he has given us protection. The smallest weapon that God has for you to take into the battle is overwhelming. You know how many people's lives have been changed by one single verse? You know how many people's lives have been changed by the fact that they were handed a Bible? That might seem small. That might seem like it's a book. It's a free book that you took out of a drawer at a Motel 6. How is that going to change lives? Because it is a weapon of God's that is overwhelming. Imagine if you had God's weapons that you were walking into battle with every day, every day we walk with the most overwhelming weapons at our disposal because they're God's weapons. I want you to see the end of the story. Verse 51 says this, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted camp. This was God's battle. This was God's battle to win. When man showed up to fight this battle, man ran away every day scared, but when God showed up with a boy to fight this battle, God gave this boy the smallest weapons, no armor, but weapons that were overwhelming, that overwhelmed a giant. It overwhelmed an army and it overwhelmed a nation. God can do that. Isn't it amazing what God can do? With what we can see as so little, God can do so much. When we try things on our own, when we try and walk into the unknown, on our own. We're going to lead people deeper into unknown. Imagine trying to be a leader and not having the proper armor to give your soldiers. See, if we're trying to, if we are trying to properly arm an army of God's soldiers but we're using man's tools we're not a very good leader for God's people. There's somebody in your life who's actually looking to you right now. Who's actually looking to you to lead. I know there's that verse that you want to tell them that would be so perfect for the situation if you could just remember. Sometimes it's easier to remember when we spend some more time in God's word and we start taking in his weapon and we let his weapon overwhelm us so that with that, we can go in to the spiritual battle and overwhelm giants. Will you pray with me?